Hello, welcome to the Multitask. I'm John Moore. It's your boy, Fadi. What's going on, guys? So, COVID relief passed the Senate. Finally, yeah. It finally passed after an all-night marathon session uh, when the Republicans tried a bunch of games, uh, tried to have uh, Unsuccessfully, yeah. Unsuccessfully. Well, did you notice the power move where where uh, I think Mitch McConnell called for a uh, for them to adjourn, and the Democrats were like, "No, we're working this through the night." And I remember I got up first thing in the morning to drive down to Springfield, and I was watching video of them actually on the floor. I thought I thought at first I thought it was um, like a replay, you know, archive replay. No, it was actually live video. So well, it passed. What, what do you think? Yeah. Another thing I read was, I don't know if you could break it down for me, but they had Republicans wanted to read the bill out loud. And then they all like left in the middle of the night. And then someone made a motion to not read the bill out loud. And then the Republicans weren't there to, to like block it. But it's it's funny. I'm just grateful that it's happened. We're going to get into it, but it's it's the, it's the right time, right? People were waiting. I think people wanted to give Biden and, and everybody a month to kind of settle in. And then they were like, where's the stimmy? You know, now everybody's familiar with terms and they're familiar with, hey, you guys want a majority, we gave you majority. And I think there was some frustration building and we'll get into that. But look, everybody was saying mid-March, it's looking like the same, right? Biden today said that there will be stimulus checks uh, uh, coming within the next month. So um, I'm grateful. People need it. I need it. And um, it's probably the most um, they were they were comparing this with the Obama Recovery Act in 2009. And it was like, this is so much bigger and more expansive. So congrats to Biden and, and, and congrats to Georgia for, for getting this, because there's no way it would have never happened without those two senators. Well, you know, um, one of the things you talked about was the fact that um, <clears throat> they were going ahead and they wanted to read all 600 pages. No. They had started it, which I thought was really funny. But if you're going to go ahead and play these procedural games, you better be able to back them up. All yeah. you're doing is angering people and you end up looking foolish. But, you know, um, I think, though, and I understand, and we'll, let's get into it now. I understand people are getting frustrated with some of the Democrats that didn't, you know, vote for especially all the amendments, especially $15 minimum wage and some of the stuff that Manchin pulled. But I also think, though, uh, when you're watching this stuff truly objectively and you see the maneuvers and you see the games, you can see how simply having a majority, uh, even when you have an over 60 plus majority, um, does not necessarily guarantee you stuff because as we've talked about before, Republicans have a lot more message discipline and they're able to do things a certain way, whereas Democrats, you, the Democrats have a party that has got Joe Manchin in the Senate and AOC in the House, and they're all Democrats. Um, that's what it means to be a Democrat. And so when you realize what the, some of the procedural maneuvers, the diversity of the party, you have to realize that simply having a majority isn't gonna necessarily get you all the legislation. What it does though, and it's something I talk about all the time, it does put Chuck Schumer in charge um, I think I sent you that tweet where someone said, you know, we might not like Joe Manchin, but if it wasn't for Joe Manchin, we'd be in our third week of the Hunter Biden hearings. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, that, I don't know if that's, if you want to use the phrase, that's like, you know, that's the sausage being made, but in many ways, that's what it is. Yeah. My answer to that will be twofold. The first thing I would say is you're, you're saying just because you have the majority, we might not be able to pass the things that we want to pass, but, but we're voting for Biden because he's saying we're gonna be able to pass once we have the majority, right? 
there was push in Georgia to say, hey, if Warnock and Ossoff are voted in $15 minimum wage and $2,000 checks, that's happening. So people are voting with the assumption that if we give you the majority, you're going to do what we ask the majority of the country wants. The other answer to that would be um, the majority of the country wants this. The majority of West Virginians want this. The majority of Arizonians want this. The majority of the country wants this. And so for one person or two people in this case to stop this feels anti the people that voted you in. Now, Mansion and Cinema have to run their own campaigns in their own states. I get that. The, the criticism I saw and I gave to cinema was the, the performative thumbs down, which I guess she was trying to say was like an ode to John McCain, which is I don't buy at all for his famous kind of, that's one of the most famous political things now. But that was, that was McCain against pressure against public pressure against Trump to give people health care. He voted to give people health care. This is like you're silly and carrying a chocolate cake in your bag and thumb down for like $15 minimum wage with the majority of your, your, your state wants it. Majority of Arizona voted for Biden. Majority of voted for her. And um, um, I forgot the other Senator, sorry, but um, it's like, what are you doing this for? My problem with the mansion is again, who are you doing this for? I asked this a few weeks ago and it, it, are you there to do what you think is best? Are you there to do what the, the West Virginians think is best because the majority of West Virginians think you should have voted for $15 minimum wage. So that's my question. That's my answer to you is like, I don't expect them to roll with Biden on every single thing. I didn't give them that much crap for, for near attendance. It's not that important in the big picture. It's like, what are you actually there for? If you're just going to be an opposition person, we might as well get uh, someone else in there. That's, that's the frustration that's building. I understand the Schumer angle and I totally get it. And I respect that. Um, it's just starting to come to the point where if you don't govern, you're going to lose elections. Yeah, well, I'd say there's one element, though, there that um, one of the things, and it's a tough thing about the, the social media element of politics, Manchin and Cinema weren't the only Democrats that voted against. It was a yeah. total of eight Democrats, yeah. inclu- including uh, what's-his-name from Delaware, right? Um, so the, the thing is, is that that's why even the stuff that angers me, I try to sort of avoid the the larger backlash against it because one, we don't know what's going on in that particular state or district. We don't know what the ideology is. And don't forget, I guarantee you in the next year, um, there's gonna be other consequential legislation that those so those eight that you know like i say i think it's weird that eight people vote against it but only two are targeted yeah. i have a problem with that that just goes to show because don't forget the day before that the hard the hardcore leftists were also you know pissed you know saying that Kamala's costing you your yeah. your 15 right so so the reality is is that it's a collective outrage oftentimes it's not necessarily rooted in any kind of um criteria because eight people eight democrats voted against it but we're only targeting two, um, and 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 so there's so many different things that are going on, and um, we're gonna. I, and I and I really hate the whole backlash against cancel culture, but re, you know we're gonna cancel Mansion, we're gonna cancel Cinema, and then there'll be two or three other consequential bills, and they might be the ones who actually save us, right? They might be the ones that. So I think that's that's the thing a lot that you I mean think about it. 
especially if you want to be bipartisan, there's a very good chance that, um, you know, uh, say like a $15 minimum wage, you could potentially see like a Josh Howley, who is the biggest asshole out there, um, you know, voting for it. So I think, you know, I don't, first of all, these people are not above criticism. They deserve to be criticized, but I'd rather go ahead and rather than have an F mansion or F cinema type attitude, I'm like, I'm really disappointed with how they voted. But the reality is, is that there's other legislation that they are maybe voting on and they may be voting the right way. So I'm not ready to go ahead and just say, kick them out of the party. Yeah. To be fair, as far as your argument about we're criticizing two out of the eight, I think the criticism with cinema was what she did and how she voted. That if she didn't want to vote for it, she could have just voted no and not have to um, basically write a campaign ad for Republicans who are saying, is this the person that you want to uh, represent you, right? I think that was a criticism from cinema. I think the criticism from Manchin is he made such a big deal out of near a Tandon and then he feels like he's putting himself in every mix of the situation. It might not feel like that to him, he just might be doing what is best, but it feels like on the outside looking in that he's stopping a lot of things. Some of that is just messaging and some of that is just politics, right? Um, but that, that's why I think those two out of the eight stuck out. My frustration comes to this. You, the 42 Democrats that voted for it, the $15 minimum wage specifically, represent more people than the, the other 58 who didn't right and so my problem is democrats lose a lot of elections now we historically came back in 2018 2020 was a great year despite the losses in the house you're not you're, you have to at some point start governing aggressively because they're the other side is not playing right 42 states are already trying to pass a uh, voter re reform or re like voting reforms to stop people of color from voting, to stop people from voting by mail, to stop. That's their strategy and they're aggressively pushing. What's our strategy? And our strategy should be to govern. And govern by pardons. There's a majority of the country wants this, right? So that's how you get voters, is you start passing stuff that the majority of the country wants. So I, I don't understand, that's my frustration is, we keep losing elections and we keep losing elections because of infighting, I think. And that right. I understand that AOC and Manchin have to run separate elections for their local um, stuff, but I just feel like we're losing a lot, and we have to start fighting that with fire. Well, yeah, but I and, and I agree with you that we fight a lot of times about infighting, but it's both ways, right? It's it's the reality is is that um, I'm not happy with Manchin Cinema or the other six that voted against it you know i think shaheen from uh, new hampshire was one that voted against it uh, i think harper may have been one but the the challenge is is that what are we going to do they voted against it and so now um do we now put a big target on their back or do we you know or or, or you know and so the infighting is kind of a you know, the way to stop the infighting is like not being happy and criticizing it, but not going ahead and just saying, well, F, you know, Joe Manchin, F Chris Cinema, because they're going to be there. And, you know, um, the other, I, and I shared this with you, Paul Begala, it was either Paul Begala or um, one of the, uh, the other, Joe Lockhart, um, who had actually put out a tweet that I thought was really, you know, very important. He said, you know, um, 
the best way to neutralize Joe Manchin is not to vote against him, but to make sure that in 2022, there's a couple more Democrats in the Senate so that he, you know, if he plays those games and the more, think about it, the more members you have on either side, the more you can give people the space. Would, would, would we be mad if there was a more sizable majority of say 54 Democrats in the house and every now and then cinema or Manchin was off the ranch? No, we wouldn't. We kind of understand it, and we'd under we'd understand the game behind it. And I think the other thing, though, that was happening um, is because of fight for fifteen and everything else. Let's be honest: putting fifteen dollar minimum wage in the stimulus package in the COVID package may have really been more about messaging, because the reality is is that people were worried about their unemployment. They were worried about their stimulus checks. Um, most people uh, last August or a lot of people who are waiting on the stimulus checks weren't necessarily doing a lot of messaging around, I want a $15 minimum wage. So the, the, there may have also been a situation where <clears throat> we don't know what the strategy was behind the White House, um, but that may have even been to say, Let, hey, let's put this out there, let's get discussed. We're not going to really, we're not going to really fight for it hard or we're not going to really make it a a must do, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and pass if it doesn't. But, but the reality is, is that you have a situation where people are sitting there, you know, um, not expecting, think about it. Were we talking about $15 minimum wage in November? No. And so, but we were, we were talking about what? Stimulus checks, stimulus checks. So, I'm not really to get too upset about something that kind of came off as gravy to begin with, right? It wasn't it wasn't necessarily something that we were expecting. I mean, do we do you recall when it first entered the discussion? When when did it enter the discussion at some at, uh, Well, I mean, Biden campaigned on it. Well, not as a major platform, but Biden definitely was campaigning on that. Yeah, but he, but he didn't campaign on it really as part of the uh No, no, no. I, listen, Biden signing an executive order making all federal employees a $15 minimum wage. So he did that already. Um, this might have just been like, I'm going to try to sneak it in there. If I can, I'll work it, work it out. Um, but I want to touch on something. Go ahead. Well, I was going to just say, and this was probably not the only buy at the Apple. No, not at all. Definitely. They're, they've already said they're going to go at it separately on their own. Um, and Biden, I don't know if you saw that you were a little busy today. He was, spoke in the Oval and said, I introduced the $1.9 trillion COVID plan. I got a $1.9 trillion COVID plan. Anything that was lost within the negotiations wasn't substance for COVID. So he basically said what you just said in the sense that this was gravy. I was just trying to get it in before I could, you know what I mean? So I get it. But something you said that hit me was, I think the goal is to make sure Manchin is not the deciding vote every single time. The problem is that the way to do that, to wait, the way to get more Democrats is to start governing and start passing stuff like this. That's that's the that's the like the the double edged sword is people want DC to be a state. People want COVID relief. People want fifteen dollars minimum wage. People want these across the board in all fifty states. And and so we got to we got to just make sure that our we play the long game in that sense that we got to govern and govern effectively so far he's had a, in my opinion a two successful months so um, i give him credit in that sense i'll push back a little bit there um 
I might agree on the on the whole issue of fifteen dollar minimum wage. People want that. People would be supportive of DC statehood. People would be supportive of Puerto Rican statehood, but people don't want it. There's not a dude, in, a, a, a blue collar factory worker in Indiana who supports Democrats who's saying, my life's going to be better if DC's a state, if Puerto Rico's a state. He might be saying my life will be better if, if we have $15 minimum wage. But the reality is, is just because Democrats support something um, doesn't mean that we necessarily, and, and understand what I'm saying, what? They're not opposed to DC statehood, but they just right? don't have a vote on it. Yeah, they, but but no, but not only do they not have a vote, it's not a priority to them because it's not. Right? They're not in they're, that situation yet. Right. There's there, look. DC is a black ass city. Go to the streets of Chicago. There's not a lot of people who are gonna punish Illinois Democrats if we don't. If DC doesn't get no, statehood, I get it. Yeah. It's, and so what I'm saying is, is we like it, we support it. Those of us who are more involved, those who are more passionate, those who are more or engaged, those who are more woke, want it. But at the end of the day, if they don't get it, it doesn't impact their lives. And that's not an argument for not doing anything about it. But that's all. But it is an argument for when you're trying to figure out your priorities. And you know, probably the biggest argument. And it's sad to say for DC statehood is is what you said before about DC and Puerto Rican statehood. Those might be extra House and Senate seats for, for the Democrats. But that's you know, you and I just before we start recording, we're talking inside baseball. That's inside baseball that is not landing on the streets of Chicago, that's not even landing in the cornfields of Indiana, that's not landing in the factories of Michigan, you know. So I we will not this and that's probably the reason why DC statehood is something that's very popular, but year after year, no one is going to hold folks accountable if it doesn't happen. Does that does that yeah. make, it's got I mean it's got to be an, it's almost an altruistic thing and you you want to think that the elected officials and everything act for the right reasons, not strictly because what's in it for them or for selfish reasons. But let's be honest, is it is so low on the totem pole. And that's why, you know, as great as it is to be Democrats, I think we've talked about this before, some of those cultural issues that I think we feel strongly about, they impact a very small part of the population. And so while we do great messaging about it, it creates excitement in certain segments and certain constituencies. Those still aren't necessarily great national messages to run on. Because at the, it's, I've learned more and more that it's about the pocketbook, kitchen table issues mm -hmm. that impact everyday lives. And I mean, again, I want people to, I'm a person who doesn't only have to vote in my self-interest, right? And I, I would be more supportive of people who support, you know, civil rights, um, equality, um, statehood for D.C., statehood for Puerto Rico, hell, statehood, uh, statehood for even Virgin Islands. Um, but at the end of the day, where does it fall on most people's priorities on what they do? And that's the catch 22, especially for those territories, right? Is the fact that, um, the people that work for you or that you can vote for don't have a say in this process. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use DC statehood as like just a general example for just the Democrats platform of popular things that they, people want to do nationally. But I also will say 
two things. We we saw on January 6th how DC statehood comes in logistically for the country because the governor could have sent in the National Guard and had more control over protecting the Capitol, who, which in theory protects everybody else. But I do want to say that what I mean is like the Democrats have popular platforms across the nation. And it seems like we can, we ineffectively, people feel like Obama was effective, but Obama will say himself, I didn't accomplish everything that I wanted to accomplish. That just comes with the, the, the politics world. Um, again, I just think that the country is shading to the left. And you talk about it all the time, right? Their base is dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And what affects, I'm from Chicago, right? Why do I care about the Keystone Pipeline? You know what I mean? But my comrades over there, the people who, the versions of me in those states, it matters, right? And Biden is is campaigning on, I'm going to shut that down. I'm going to stop building the wall. The wall doesn't affect me. I'm, I'm not from Texas and I'm not from those Southern states. <clears throat> I could care less about a wall. You know what I mean? I'm from Chicago. I don't, I don't really... You know what I mean? I don't care about the California forest fires in theory, but what I'm saying is Biden is running for the entire country and he's saying global warming, COVID relief, jobs, $15 minimum wage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Selfishly, I do want two extra senators from DC. Um, Puerto Rico is different because I think that's going to come down to giving the people the chance to vote, giving Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico a chance to vote to be a state. So that's not up to us because I think that um, that's their choice. But the, as far as I'm concerned, my overall message is Democrats run on big platforms and big, really um, layered in-depth policies, and we should start doing that. If that includes DC statehood, it should. If that if that just focuses on COVID bill or whatever it is, right? I guess what I'm saying is we got to keep pushing for these things because they're going to help us in the long run. Right, and I really wonder though whether it's going back to $15 minimum wage or D.C. statehood, um, might they have to throw that pitch three or four different times, right? Um, you know, you, there's there's a lot of gun legislation that passed the House uh, but never made it to the Senate with Mitch McConnell. They plan on passing it again, putting it out there. And so that being said is, you know, when you're doing that, you know, the the messaging around D.C. statehood, the messaging around $15 minimum wage, uh, you don't, again, as we said earlier, you don't only get one bite at the apple. And if you're going ahead and being a, and elevating it, you might not get it this cycle. You might not get it next cycle. That might be a, 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 a last year of the Biden administration after they've gone ahead and hopefully, you know, retain control of the House and, and maybe increase the majority in the Senate. Um but they shouldn't stop doing it. But the question is, is like, how, how, where does it fit in the priorities, especially when you actually are dealing with certain things. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but sticking in DC, uh, a story broke recently that uh, they're looking at members of Congress's phone records. And then there was the story today about uh, evidently a proud boy had been in contact with at least one, uh, Trump White House official. Yeah. Uh, how's that been landing in, in in your world? You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know if it, if you watched the um, Mary Garland hearings. There was a uh, either Mary Garland or somebody else, or, or I think I think 
Christopher Gray, the FBI director, was just recently testifying as well. It might have been that, not Mary Garland. Josh Hawley had a, a specific set of questions. I don't know if you caught up on this. I don't know if you have, but he had a specific set of questions of how easy is it to trace members of Congress's phone <clears throat> interactions to the January 6th insurrection. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw that thing was, um, yeah, please look at all their phones because I have no doubt in my mind that some people were involved, not necessarily directly, but indirectly. And um, I hope they go down for it because I, they, it was clearly, they had help on the inside, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, well, it's one of those things where, to your point, I saw that same thing, and, and that was the reaction on social media too. That Holly was kind of maybe wondering if it, it was getting kind of hot for him. Yeah, for sure. But um, I think that it's only a matter of time before that stuff starts to come out, and um, you know, it's it's in some ways we were frustrated when it first happened. And those people weren't necessarily getting the charges that we want. But a lot of those people have been experiencing upgraded charges, right? Um, you, you saw that the guy that went and put his feet on Pelosi's desk is freaking out because he's still not out on bail. And, and, and he was in some hearing and he's like, I'm in here too long. Um, but this is something that has to be taken very seriously. This is something where... I think it's a wake-up call to Republicans. You may have seen the report that um, Illinois State Representative Christopher Miller, wife of uh, Mary Miller, who's the congresswoman who, uh, I think that's the 15th congressional district, who had gone ahead and given big ups to Hitler, uh, you know, the day before. He drove that truck to the Capitol that had the three percenter sign on it, and he's being investigated. I think the Republican Party's got some real problems. Um, could you imagine? And that's, the you know, we often talk about the difference between Republicans and Democrats. If if Antifa, <laughs> Antifa and or Black Lives Matter were to be as, were to have pu pulled this and to have been closely aligned and or communicating with certain members of an Obama or Biden administration and Democratic members of the House and Senate, uh, all, it'd be illegal to be a Democrat right now, right? Yeah. Um, are Democrats playing it too safe? I'm not sure what we could be doing, but just even on the messaging side, right? Um, are, are we playing it too safe or do you think we're taking advantage of every everything we can to like tie Republicans to this and really hold them accountable and call them out? What I'm, what I'm seeing is um, Republicans are starting to change the narrative. They're starting to say, I don't know, how the acts, the same guy uh, that Christopher, I think it's Christopher Gray, the FBI director, if I'm not mistaken. Christopher Ray, Ray. Ray, sorry, Ray. Um, he asked him how many firearms were confiscated the day of January 6th. And the answer is zero because not a lot of people were actually just arrested on January 6th. It all came later, right? We saw video evidence that there was firearms there. Republicans are trying to say that it wasn't dangerous, that our lives weren't really at risk, and that it was a protest gone wrong and a few people entered the building. I, I'm starting to see Republicans starting to change that narrative for sure. Um, we have to make sure that they never do that. And so I, I hope we fight back aggressively. Um, I also hope that 
actually, I, there's no hope for Republican voters because that's really how you hold these Republican officials accountable. But as far as I'm concerned, Howley's going to be popular than ever with that base. So I hope Democrats fight this aggressively because Republicans are already starting to change the narrative. And they're starting to say they weren't Trump fans. They were Antifa, Black Lives Matter. They were Proud Boys. People, there's people who were there who were testifying, Trump told me to do this. Like actual testimony in court that Trump said I could come and do this. And they're like, I wonder who, who told you to do this. Like, no, Trump did it. Yeah, we'll never know now. No, 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 I'm telling you, Donald Trump told me to come here. It's like, no, no, no. So there's just this, there's this disconnect that Republicans are trying to distance themselves away from it. So we have to make sure that never happens. Well, you know, that brings me to something I didn't put in prep, but you probably have seen it. Um, this week, there has been, um, and I think it was on CNN um, in the morning, you know, a few interviews with former people who, former QAnon believers. Yeah. And they were saying, I'm kind of outraged about that. And mm. I'll tell you why. It goes back to the Trump years and what they're trying to do is humanize people who are, I don't, I don't want to call them terrorists or misguided, but they're humanizing them. And I'm not, I'm not here for dehumanizing people. But what it does is it makes them sympathetic. And I'm going to tell you something, and you may or may, not, may or may not agree. The reason why you will believe a QAnon, the reason why you believe some of these Pizzagates is, you know what confirmation bias is, right? Mm -hmm. In a way, it's confirmation bias. The reason why you're willing to believe this crazy stuff is because there's something wrong with you to begin with. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I hate to be so dispassionate and so, un, uh, you know, such such a jerk about it but if you had someone in your life and then we may know people i have friends who are trump supporters people i genuinely like but before they were trump supporters there would always be things that they would say or reactions to certain situations where they weren't you know obviously they were in my life i'm a black man and they're whatever but do you have a, do you have like friends that like are probably in that space and there's character traits you've seen before that caused you concern but not enough for you to end the friendship or not to like you know you would compartmentalize that friendship so i first of all do you have that have you had that yeah i'm, I'm talking to somebody right now who's super anti-vaccine who's super uh 5g covid that whole thing and uh it's like i don't want to judge them and i'm trying to talk to them in a sane way so i don't like distance myself but it's like they're down a rabbit hole that I can't get them out of. And that says something about them simply. Right. But more importantly, what it does though, too, is um, it makes it, when I'm watching these interviews on CNN and they feel like they were victimized, um, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them because in many cases, there's some prejudice, there's some prejudices and bigotry and biases you have to have to believe that stuff is what I'm saying, right? Yeah. There's some prejudice, some bigotry and stuff that you have to have to even support Donald Trump. Even if you are not blatantly racist or over the top and you really like that black guy that works at the corner store or, or uh, you know, my favorite Arab that, that has, a, has a convenience store, right? That's, that's great. But nonetheless, there are biases and it just, I don't know, please, you know, I don't, I'm not here for necessarily dehumanizing people, but I also don't think these people deserve the sympathy that they're getting for, you know, believing in QAnon. I just really don't. 
I'll take it a step further. There's people who said, oh, the insurrection was my last thing. Like that broke the tie with me and Trump. That broke the tie. It's hard for added sympathy for you having no sympathy for me. So what you're saying is like, you don't want to dehumanize them, but some of these people believe like Biden's eating kids or, or molesting and sexually assaulting children in the White House. People believe that they're changing their minds and they're getting out of that cloud. And it's like, I feel sorry for me. It's like, you believe really evil things. You should be apologizing profusely right now. But I will take this further. After 2016, there was the, what we call the Trump articles. They went to Michigan and, and interviewed Trump people. They went to Georgia, interviewed Trump people, boom. In 2018, Trump lost in the midterms. They went and they interviewed Trump people. They interviewed the, the expose on the Trump. Why, why do you still support him? Boom, boom, boom. They went to Denny's, interviewed people. Why are you still Trump fans? 2020, he lost. They went to Michigan to interview Trump's fans. Why did you vote for him again? This is the thing, right? They're taking these fringe, right-wing, usually white males, trying to make people understand them. Instead of trying to interview the black people in Georgia who got a stimulus checks, or the black women who overwhelmingly in 2016, 2020 voted for the right candidate or the South Carolinians who voted for Joe Biden when he had no chance, right? If, if Joe Biden lost South Carolina, we would not be where we are right now. So I wanna see the, the articles about them. I wanna see the timepieces about them, not QAnon. I'm done with that. I have no sympathy for them at all. I don't want them to die or burst or anything like that. But as far as I'm concerned, they need to, to, to stay out of the limelight. Right, and the rehabilitation needs to be a lot more because I do believe you can rehabilitate people. I don't think people, I don't think people need to be bad or evil their whole life or misguided their whole life. But I also don't think I don't think you can just sit there and say, "Oh, that that ride I went to at the Capitol escalated <laughs> kind of fast. I'm out of here now." Yeah. Right. Um. You know, especially because, like you were saying before, um that riot should not have been a final straw yeah uh separating families at the border kidnapping kids from their family that was the final straw yeah. the muslim ban was not a final straw yeah so it's hard for me to sit there and watch you know you getting to sit on the set or now the zoom on cnn and just talk about how you know you're just really misguided and misled but by the, by the way, can I say something? This this isn't exclusive to this, right? What they did to Jason Rittenhouse in Wisconsin. Oh, he's just a little kid. He just was trying to protect his city that he was not in. Or there was an 18 Kyle. It was Kyle. Kyle, Kyle sorry, I apologize. Uh, I get all those white names mixed up. <laughs> there was an 18-year-old kid who was at the insurrection, and his mom, was. she was doing one of these articles with one of these uh, newspapers. And she's like, you know what? He's a good kid. He just made one mistake. And then, right? Like, I sometimes make mistakes. I don't accidentally go to the insurrection that's fled, right? So it's like, this is to me a little bit of the racial stuff, right? When Michael Brown stole something allegedly, when George Floyd allegedly had a $20 counterfeit bill, you didn't want to give them another chance. You didn't say, oh, it was just one mistake. They didn't deserve to die over those mistakes. Here is somebody, 18-year-old, crossing state lines with the AR-15. That's not a mistake. Part of this is like that whole thing where Michael Brown, 
you wanted to throw him under the jail, but someone like like the Wisconsin shooter with the AR-15, you want to give him another chance. To me, that's just that's just racist. Right. You, and, then you want, and then when he's out on bail, he's in bars hanging out with white nationalists, underage drinking. Yeah, right. And then and then also when the, when the, when they they can't even find him, so technically he's a fugitive. Yeah. And then when you get him, you find a way to to still keep him out. Yeah. You and you and I both know. If that was Jamal Jackson from 79th Street, his black ass would still be locked up for strictly um, stealing a, a, a parked car that was that had no one in it. It wasn't even a carjacking. Well, it was just a hot wire. A hot wire. Just, that kid is, is probably locked up, and he's been locked up he, for six he's months. He's not locked up because they would have killed him on the scene, frankly. Right, right. right. Frankly. Sorry. Sorry, John. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But, I mean, it... it does get frustrating. It just yeah. it's it's so. I mean, it's dude. It, it and 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 I think the thing that just is 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 so. It it it's it's I you hear I'm at a loss for words here. Yeah. But um, I think I I just think that it's it's so appalling, right? That these people started a riot, have gone ahead and. Um, basically, put it is put a situation where the um, capital's on lockdown, and I mean, think about it. You know, you're Arabic. Think about when just eleven people pulled off nine eleven, and it had nothing to do with you. And think about how think about how it made your life bad. Yeah. Right. A kid in Chicago who had nothing to do with any of that crap. And these guys basically had a capital siege and were rolling deep. Right. And and they've come back to our communities. Yeah. And 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 people who look like them aren't automatically suspects. Mm -hmm. People people who attend the same churches aren't automatically suspects, even though there is a very close tie to Christ, you know, right-wing Christian evangelism, mm -hmm. right? Don't forget, dude, you saw the video of them, was it the House or Senate where they were on the floor and they were, they, they had just, it was the Senate, right? And it was the shaman mm -hmm. and they had some type of prayer. Yeah. Can you imagine if they finished that prayer with, you know, Al-Akbar? Yeah. Uh, Dude, it'd be hot. <laughs> they would have nuked it as soon as the vice president. Yeah, they they would have nuked. They would have nuked it, and on top of it, they would have gone ahead and made sure every mosque in America <laughs> was under surveillance. Yep, yep, one hundred percent. As soon as Mike Pence was out of there, they would have nuked it with Congress people in there. No doubt in my mind, <laughs> if there was somebody with a hijab or something in there. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, we're laughing because it's 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 funny from a standpoint of it's that ridiculous, but and it's, it's also that not obvious, too far right? Right. It's, it, not, it's, it's the not same thing, like with the Black Lives Matter marches and when the Eagles win the Super Bowl and there's like cars flipped over and cops assaulted and riots, and it's like, oh, they're just having fun, but peaceful kids protesting on Michigan Avenue during Black Lives Matter marches. Or, or need to be jailed. It, again, this all to me is just is just racial for me. Well, you know what's funny is that's so true. I was, you know, I'm a proud graduate of the University of Dayton, and we're I'm a it's a proud party school, 
in my senior year, uh, we had one of those good runs. It's tough now because the university University of Dayton is now a good basketball school. Yeah. So now you actually have to go deep into the tournament to really be excited. But I was there in the years where you would go every third or fourth year. So every time you went, it was a big deal, yeah. right? Because it would be once. It would only be once during your undergraduate years, For right? Sure. And then it'll be once. During, and um, I remember in my roommate from the basketball team. I remember we beat Illinois and we partied. We partied our asses off. And we, you know, there was still, I remember going walking down the street the next day. You know, we, we, it was not uncommon to set couch fires and dance in the street and shut stuff down. And um, so we won that first game against Illinois. And the second game, we were playing Oklahoma. And by the way, my roommate had an awesome game. This is in the time. tournament, right? Uh, in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. And um, it just, and University of Dayton is a strong, has a strong Irish Catholic identity. And even without basketball, St. Patrick's Day weekend was one of those weekends that people would travel from all over the country just to come party at the University of Dayton. Nice. So the second game was on St. Patrick's Day weekend, and we lost. But the party started, and it was so out of control that they bought in the riot cops, right? Now, Dayton is an urban-suburban campus, uh, but it's in an urban setting, right? And there's the west side of Dayton, which is heavily black, Okay. And at one point, um, the police are there, and the kids are it's like a standoff. The kids are dancing, drinking, and everything. The cops are just standing there. And somebody throws a bottle, hits a cop in the head, and the cop goes down. Do you think the cops started swinging or shooting tear gas? No, guess what the cops did? Left? Retreat, retreated. Oh. Just backed up. And I was sitting on a on a rooftop watching this with one of my college with one of my friends who's black as well. And I said, I was enjoying this up until that. And what I was really pissed off about, I was like, and I'm you know only I'm a college senior at the time, but I have yeah. since I said, dude, if this was on the west side, the minute that cop got hit, all hell would have broken loose. Over oh, yeah. That's white privilege. Yeah. That, that 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 is literally white privilege. Before we go, um, speaking about these crazies, uh, March fourth was a big day for these crazies. Yeah. Um, they had to shut down Congress. You know, Congress Pelosi saying they didn't necessarily leave because of that, but they did cancel a vote. But of course, the Senate stayed, and I would think the Senate's the same risk. But there were some beliefs that that was the day that Donald Trump was going to get sworn in. Well, where, some people believe he people? was sworn in secretly and Biden is the puppet and Trump is the real Oval Office is in Mar-a-Lago right now. <laughs> so, so you do realize in two weeks we're going to see another another panel discussion on CNN where um, they have the, you know, I, I now understand that Donald Trump wasn't sworn in on, on March 4th. Please feel sorry for me because, you know, I've alienated my family and, you know, Am I right? Yeah, there's going to be those stories. There's also going to be like, no, 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 it's not March 4th. That was the decoy. It's April 14. That's the real date that he's going to be sworn in. That's how they're just going to keep doing it for four years. <laughs> well, well, you know, I saw something before we started recording tonight that said that Trump is going to be going to New York for the first time. Uh, oh, that's this really week. interesting. They and hated him before he was because... there, so. <laughs> Some some people think he's going in to be questioned for by by the New York Attorney General or something. So oh, I hope so. Uh, I hope so. But uh, we're, we're running kind of long today, yeah. so uh, you think it's time to sign off? All right, yeah, well, let's do it. This is John signing off. This is John signing off. off. 
Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week. Peace. Bye.